if uh, I think if this whole weird COVID thing has taught us anything is that there is nothing, there is no substitute for like the ecclesia, the gathering of believers physically in a place to worship the Lord. Nothing. And I've said it before and I'll say it again that no power of hell can stand against that. And so, whew, I mean, man, do you hear what we just sang? I'm all on fire. Okay, here we go. We are going to continue in our study of uh, these, it's really this, what does it say, exploring? Yes, rediscovering, sorry, we went with exploring before. Rediscovering the names and attributes of God. And Treb looked at the title one of this, which is The Great I Am, where he went into Exodus chapter 3 and explained this beautiful name of God, this I Am, this where we get this name, Yahweh. And then last week he looked at another name for God of Elohim. God is our, as our sovereign and strong creator. And all of these things are going to push us to really know God and to trust him. That's what all of these names of God is. He's revealed about himself. It's always going to push us to trust him. And so today we're going to look at the name Jehovah Jireh. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, looking at a very difficult but redemptive and glorious story of, of Abraham getting tested by God. We'll be in Genesis 22, verse 1 through, oh, probably 14. And in this story, we're going to look at God as the provider. As we'll see in a minute, Abraham is going to name this place, the Lord provides. And we're going to dive into what happens in this story and how it pushes us to trust God in the midst of darkness, we even just sang that it doesn't matter what evil is in the world, it cannot extinguish the light. This is the message of the gospel, that the, the darkness cannot overcome the light. And man, this has been a hard week. I'll be honest. This has been an emotional roller coaster. We had this started off with this, this Southern Baptist Convention report that came out. Deeply, deeply painful. It reminds me of the whole Ravi Zacharias thing, but it's even bigger because you have massive abuse. And then this cover-up that shepherds of the church could cover that kind of thing up. It's awful. And so I've been brokenhearted all week. And then, of course, I can't not mention that the shooting in Uvalde. It's incomprehensible evil. That's all it is. I, none of us have a category for that. Who has a category for that? Nobody does. If you ever need proof that we live in a broken world, it's that. We live in a fallen world, and this place is not our home. And so, I'm not going to talk about anything. I'm not going to, I don't even, I did not watch the news for the past like five days, because I can't. I'm done. I'm done watching people scramble to try to figure things out and not turn to the Lord. And so, we're going to turn to the Lord today in Genesis 22, and Abraham is going to confront his worst fear, losing his son. And we're going to see God provide for him. And then we're going to look at and challenge one another to truly trust the Lord to provide for us in our greatest time of need. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Genesis here. Lord, we come to you as a people always, always in desperate need. Always in desperate need of trusting you, of knowing you, of resting in you, of living out the peace that you have won for us of walking by faith, of living as children of light, as living as, as vessels broken but redeemed, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives that radiate your glory and live for the good of other people. We are constantly in need. Lord, we are tired of this broken world. We are exhausted with it. 
and yet you have come to redeem it and to use us as instruments of redemption in this world. And so we come to you today to press into you, you who provide. And we ask for your provision this morning. Walk us through this text, O Lord. Teach us what you want us to learn and empower us to apply what you are teaching us today. You are teaching us truth. Help us walk according to it. In Christ's name we pray. And I want to take just a moment before we open it up. Before I want to just give us a moment to kind of get ready. So if you're, just continue to pray with me. I want to just give you a moment to ask the Lord to help you today. So take a moment and ask the Lord to teach you, to prepare your heart to receive his word and to receive what he's going to teach you. Ask him for your help. Ask him for his help, I mean to help you comprehend and understand, to help you bear your heart to him today. And then as you do every week, take a moment to pray for someone else, someone you brought, someone you don't know, someone you just met. Ask the Lord to teach them, to encourage them today. Lord, we lift all these things up to you in your sure and trustworthy hands, and we pray it all in the risen name of Jesus. Amen. So Genesis chapter 22. So this uh, chapter forms what's called an inclusio. It's like, those are like bookends in a, in a narrative. And so it started in Genesis 12 with uh, God calling Abraham out of Ur. And we have this great story of Abraham. It takes up most of the, the center part of the book of Genesis and really forms the foundation for the rest of the Bible. And 22 is kind of the bookend to this thing. It is this great moment of, of Abraham being tested and being faithful. And the following chapter is, is uh, Sarah dies, and then you've got, it goes on to Isaac and Rebekah, and then in, in chapter 25, you have the death of Abraham. So this is really kind of the, the end of his story. And it begins like this. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Word for God there, by the way, is Elohim, sovereign, strong, creator God. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up, and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The wood and the fire are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there was the, and in, in the, there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So Abraham, if you don't know the story, he was pagan. God calls him out of that, into a relationship with him. He trusts God by faith, becomes the father of the nation of Israel. The Lord blesses him. And they have this incredible story of him telling him in, in Genesis 15, I will make you a father of many nations, even though he was old and past childbearing years. And Isaac was the answer to that promise. So Isaac is the son of promise. Like he is the heir. All the nations, everybody, Jesus is going to come through Isaac, okay? Abraham knows this. And so God says, I'm going to test you. And he says his name, Abraham. And Abraham says this beautiful answer to when God says your name, you say, here I am. It's a wonderful response. And God says, listen to this. I do not shy away from the horror. Take your son. Gotcha. Your only son. Okay, yes, I only have the one. Isaac. Yes. Whom you love. Yes. And go to the region of Moriah. Okay. Then what? Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. What? That doesn't make any sense. That is a crazy request. First off, God doesn't want us to kill anybody. And second off, it's totally contrary to his character. God hates child sacrifice. He says it a bunch of times in the Old Testament. God loves children. What is he saying? Why would he tell him to do that? How does Abraham respond? I tell you how I would respond? No. No. What? No, I'm not. No. God's not telling me that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I could have a... I could write a book about reasons why I would disobey that. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He got ready to go. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When they had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, you realize Abraham's calculating, how much wood am I going to need to burn my son? Okay? How much wood will I need to burn Isaac? A burnt offering, by the way, it wasn't like you cut part of it up and then you, no, the burnt offering, the whole thing was consumed in the fire. How much wood will I need to bring with me? What's going on in Abraham's heart right now? What's going on in his mind? And he set out for the place God had told him about. You want to talk about walking by faith? I guess he's maybe riding a donkey by faith. I don't know if the, the donkey is laden with the wood. I don't know, but Abraham's going. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. I think that most of the idea is there's probably a two-day journey on the morning of the third day. They see the place and they, they go up to the hill on the third day. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Do you see what he says here? Stay here with us. I and the boy, we're going to go over there. So that in Hebrew, there's this determinative uh, verb here. And it's like, we are determined to go over there. We are determined to worship, and we are determined to come back to you. We know from Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham believed that if he killed Isaac, that God would bring him back from the dead. That that is the kind of faith that he had. 
The God who had promised to do all these things through his son, that if Abraham obeyed God, that he would bring his son back from the dead. That's what Abraham, excuse me, that's what Hebrews tells us. We wouldn't know it unless Hebrews told us that. But that is what Abraham believed. We see it here, of course. We will go, we will what? Do you see the word? Worship. Can you believe that he attributes the word worship to this? We will worship. If you ever think worship does not involve sacrifice, it does. And then we will come back to you. What faith. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. The question is, how old was Isaac at this time? Um, Josephus, writing in the first century, most Jewish scholars agree that, uh, thought that he was about 25 years old. Uh, in the next chapter, we see Sarah lives to be 127. She was 90 when she had Isaac. So he would have been 37 when she died. It's probably safe to assume that this is probably near the end of that. I guarantee you Sarah had no idea what Abraham was doing. There is no way, no way any married man in here would think that that would go on. Sarah would be like, uh-uh, I laughed once. I'm going to stab you in the kidneys before you do that. That's not happening. So it says that he carried the fire, or carried the wood. So most estimates, like I said, he's 25. He could have been somewhere in his late 20s or early 30s. Isaac is a grown man. He's not like a 12-year-old or a baby or a child. He's a man. He's a young man. And his dad is an old one. Old. I mean, Sarah was going to be 127. And Abraham lived even longer than that. So Abraham takes the wood and lays it on his son who, by the way, is old enough to fight him off at this point. And, they carry, and he carries the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Can you imagine how heavy every step of Abraham's walk was? Every step brings him closer to the moment where he's going to have to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. The weight. What questions was he asking? Did I hear God right? Is this, is this really what he wants me to do? If I do this, how will I ever face Sarah again? Can you imagine? And that's the end of that relationship, right? He sacrifices Isaac, comes back, no, no more Isaac. That's it. There's no reconciling that. Maybe the biggest question ever, which is the question that never goes away, Philip Yancey wrote a book with that title, and that question is why? Why? Why would you ask me to do this, God? And Abraham is walking and going up to that mountain. And then this happens in verse 7. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, that's the word Abba. We're going to look at, if you're seeing some parallels between Isaac and Jesus, we're going to dig into those in just a minute. There's a lot of them. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? There could be no worse question for Isaac to ask him, right? What is he going to say? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the two of them went on together. Do you feel just the incredible weight of this story? It's almost unbearable. I want you to note, though, the word lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. Okay, make a note of that, and we're going to come back to that in just a second. Now in verse... Nine, when they reached the place God had told him about, 
Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood. This was no fast process. It wasn't like they got up there and he kills them. He has to build an altar out of stones. One stone at a time. A big enough altar to lay a young man on. And then he has to pile the wood on it. you imagine the process? What was going on in Abraham's heart? Cannot imagine. And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. It's an unimaginable scenario, yes? And while child sacrifice was common in the day, it was not common for Abraham. He was not like, oh yeah, this seems normal. I'm going to go kill Isaac. This is totally nuts from Abraham's perspective. As a side note, by the way, God has never asked someone else to do this. Well, he asked himself, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. But he never asked anyone else to do this, all right? So like if anyone ever comes back and says, just, just tell them no. That would happen once. It doesn't have to happen again. He binds him on top of the wood. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You want to talk about stress? You want to talk about anxiety, terror, fear? And one of my favorite but gods in the Bible, in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord cried out to him from heaven. Can you imagine the, the sound system of heaven? <laughs> you imagine how loud this was? I bet they heard it all over the world. Abraham. Abraham, like this shout, the angel of the Lord himself is screaming from heaven his name. And how does Abraham reply? Here I am. Before you told me to do it, I was here. I'm about to obey you. I'm still here. Then he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Can you imagine what Abraham, especially what Isaac is probably feeling right now? Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear, fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Can you imagine the relief? I mean, I've never felt relief like this. If you added up all the reliefs I've ever felt in my entire life, they would not compare to this. And he looks up and he sees in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. What kind of animal is it? A ram. Remember what Abraham said the Lord would provide? A lamb. So for those of us who aren't, uh, didn't grow up on a farm or anything, a lamb is a baby sheep. Think about like pictures of lambs, little fluffy little lamb. That's a lamb. This is a ram. It's a full-grown male sheep. And when I think of ram, you're going to want to think more of like a, a bighorn sheep. Rams have big curled horns. They're like three or 400-pound animals. They're huge. This is a big animal. It's not like there's a lamb like ah, over there in the bush. It is a, a ram. It's very interesting. It's not the lamb, but it's the ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram gratefully and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So a little geography for us. This, this, uh, Moriah, the region of Moriah is this ridge in Israel where the city of Jerusalem would later be built. And it's uh, the same region, not, probably not the exact same spot, but the, the thought was that the, uh, the, 
The threshing floor that David bought and where the Temple Mount was built was the same spot where Isaac was. There's no way to know exactly. The same spot where Isaac was almost sacrificed. And then it is the same ridge, the same place that, of course, looking forward, 1,400 years from here, when Jesus would come and be sacrificed on that same mountain, on Mount Moriah, that on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. As you look at this, it's impossible not to see the parallels, right? So I even, like, listen to these. I, I wrote out some of the, the parallels between Isaac and Jesus, okay? Both of them were beloved sons, said in the text. Both of them were the only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. They both went to Mount Moriah. They both returned on the third day. Isaac comes back down with his dad. Jesus raises from the dead on the third day. They both cried out, Abba. They both said, Father, and they asked him a question. Jesus, of course, said, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. And it did not. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross for the sacrifice. Both walked in absolute obedience to their father. Both of them were bound. Isaac was bound by his father, and Jesus was bound by the Romans. And here's where things start to change. Isaac's, the, the head of his substitute was caught up in the thicket, right, with the, his horns. Jesus is the substitute, and on his head was laid a crown of thorns. Isaac was spared, but Jesus was sacrificed. When he says God himself will provide the lamb, he did. It was just 1,400 years later. When John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That God saw us in our need, in our human need, alienated from him, enemies from him, condemned because of our sin, and provided his only son to pay the sins of all time. It is the greatest provision that has ever happened or will ever happen or could ever happen. It is the great cosmic provision of Jesus in the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our sins. At the moment of greatest human need, God provided the only solution, which was Christ on the cross for our sins, dead, buried, and risen again on the third day, defeating death. The Lord will provide. So I want to look at this idea of God's provision in a broken world. Because that you need no further reminder this week that we live in a world that is, it is, the place is not right. It is not right, this world. And I don't mean like politics. I mean like the, the, the absolute incomprehensible horror of what happened in Uvalde and what happened in Sandy Hook and what happened, you can just go back and back and back, and back, and not just school shootings, but mass murder, genocide, horror that human beings have done to each other. We're truly innocent people. I mean innocent like theologically. I know we're all under sin, but kids are shot in their classroom. That is evil. It is demonic. It is of the devil. There is no other way to say it, and it's wrong and yet it's happening in our world today. So how does God provide in a world that is so broken? 
So there's a, a book that Philip Yancey wrote. Like I said, he wrote one book called Where's God When It Hurts? A wonderful book written a long time ago. I highly recommend it. Digs into the question of suffering, human suffering. Where is God when things are going terribly, when we are suffering? And the answer to that question, of course, is where is God when I'm suffering? That for the believer, he's in us. He answers our suffering with the very presence and comfort of himself. You remember what Abraham said? God himself will provide the lamb. God provides himself in the life of the believer. For the unbeliever, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't have any hope for you. How's that for a fancy Sunday message? If you had never put your faith in the Lord Jesus, you are, you are dead in your sins, you're separated from God, and you have no hope. You have no hope of joy and peace and comfort on this, in this life, and you have none in the next one. And I mean it. The only hope that any of us have is putting our faith in the Lord Jesus for our salvation, trusting in him that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for our sins, that his resurrection from the dead is enough to conquer death, and that I trust him that if I believe that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, that I will be saved. That if I call upon the name of the Lord, I will be saved. If you've never done that, I'm inviting you to do it today. That the Lord God has provided for you a lamb to take care of your sin and your separation from him and will draw you to himself and save you. If you've never done that, I have no hope for you. But for the believer, you have in you the greatest provision that has ever happened. That is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when you were saved. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. You cannot run fast or far enough away to get away from God. You cannot sin bad enough to make him leave you. He is with you. Because he said he's with you. Not because I say he's with you, but because he said he's with you. So the answer to where is God when I'm hurting is that he's literally inside of you. And he is with you in the midst of your suffering. He does not run away from suffering, but redemptively comes and engages in our suffering with us and to provide comfort and to provide uh, healing in our brokenness. And not only that, but he then empowers us to minister to other hurting people. Isn't that amazing? So God's provision in a broken world. Where is he when I hurt? And then this next question is the why question. Why? If you haven't asked yourself this question this week, I, I don't know what to tell you. When you look at the situation like that and ask why, maybe you've been taught that like why is not a good question. So let, you've heard, if you've been around Treb in a time of crisis, he'll tell you that God is big enough for all your questions. Yes, there's no question that you can ask that God is like, ah, I'm not answering those today. It's like Tuesday. No, no, sorry. Or uh, I don't know, that one stumped me. Like God's never asked, like no one's ever asked him why. Why? Why, comma, God, question mark. Longest sentence ever. Because the answer to it, of course, is that God is not required to answer my why. He is not. He is not required to give me an answer. Because the answer that he's given us is you live in a fallen world that's broken by sin and you are not spared from the effects of it. None of us get out of this place unscathed. Every one of us will suffer loss. Every one of us will experience the death of someone we love and our own death. There's only two ways out of this thing. It's death or rapture. That's it. There's no other way out. Everyone will suffer on this planet. Everyone. The only question is, will you suffer alone reject the only help that's been offered to you and suffer in silence and medicate and try to uh, prognosticate and figure it out and blab and try to come up with solutions that can never actually solve the problem, which is what the lost world does. Or you can suffer and have God suffer with you 
And that suffering then becomes redemptive. He redeems that suffering and he makes it into growing us into godly character. He grows us up through our suffering. He never wastes it. For the unbeliever, all suffering is wasted. For the believer, all suffering is redemptive. He redeems that which we fear the most to make us like Christ. So when we are, in, when we are encountering the fearful horror of the reality of living in a fallen world, you have a choice. You can walk by faith or you can walk by sight. Abraham walked by faith. As you go through that narrative, at every moment, his steps were hard. Can I just say that walking by faith is hard? It is not some kind of joy ride where it's like I'm riding a roller. It's like you're riding a roller coaster, but it breaks down and then you have to walk up all the steps to get out. It's not fun, always. It's hard. It's easier, honestly, to just reject the whole thing, drink myself into oblivion, and forget it. That's easy. That's easy. Faith is hard. You want to talk about hard? What Abraham did was hard. Like the hardest thing anybody's done. What Jesus did for us was hard. He was so stressed that he bled our sweated blood. Jesus died a real death. Real nails went into real hands and he suffered real pain. Why? To redeem us. Because the wages of sin are death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in the midst of all of that, God provides. And how does he provide? Look at the examples Jesus gives. Like when you're talking in Matthew 6 about worrying, he's like, look at the lilies of the field. They don't work hard. Look how well God provides for them. Look at the sparrows. They're not flying around. They just, God provides for the sparrow. Are you not worth much more than they, he says? And then he says, look, if you were to pray and ask your, your heavenly father for something, he's good. If an, earth, if an earthly child asks their earthly father for bread, he doesn't give him a stone or a scorpion. How much more will your heavenly father provide for you? So he provides because he is good and he provides for his children. He's not some absent dad who skips out. He's literally indwelling you. But he does not always provide in the way that we think. Look at Abraham. He anticipated a lamb. God provided a ram. And you might be like, what's the difference? Well, they're two different animals. That's the difference. They're both provision, but one of them is what Abraham was expecting. The other is what God actually provided. So when God provides for us, it does not necessarily mean that he'll provide in the way that you think he should provide. He'll provide in the way that he knows that you need. I have an uncle, an Uncle Jay. If you ever met him, he's a one of a kind. And uh, he was the same age as my dad, kind of like a, almost grew up with my dad, actually. And uh, he was married to my mom's sister. And Uncle Jay, is a, he's a trip. He's just one of the most joyful and zany people you've ever met. He can, he calls it Oki Engineering. He grew up in, in uh, Sand Springs. And he can take whatever, a pile of junk, and like make something out of it. He's incredible. He was... When I was in college, I uh, don't, don't do this if you're going to college, but I, I took a, a semester of student loan and paid for a trip to Europe, and then I ate on $10 a week for that so I could go. It was worth every penny. But I've already paid the loan back, so don't like turn me in. But I went on this trip, and on the beginning of it, my uncle said, hey, do you want me to go like two weeks early, and you and I can go and run around. Like, I want to, uh, You have a cousin who's playing this thing in Ireland, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go to Ireland and Scotland. And, 
And I want to take you to, uh, to the, uh, a place where your name comes from, Brandon, Ireland. I was like, I didn't even know that existed. So this is great. So I'm going to go with Uncle Jay. I was like, I have no money. Like, none. And he's like, no, no worries. I got you. So, okay. So we, we go with Jay. And the only thing he tells me, he's like, dress up in a suit and, you know, pack light. Okay. Because we're flying. What I didn't know is we're flying standby. I didn't know this this whole time. And the whole trip was on standby. So I had no concept. Now I know, like, when we were missionaries, I flew D3. Like, I mean, like, stand, that's like just under, just above luggage. And... They, uh, this is what we were doing. <laughs> I had no idea that my entire trip to Europe was based on just, you know, getting on the plane. So we're sitting in the airport, and we're dressed in a, um, a suit because if, if you're flying a standby and you're dressed nice, they'll stick you in first class. So we go there, and uh, we go first class to Europe. Yay. Uh, never been on there before or, or since. And we get there, and we, we land in Ireland. We drive, um, do this thing that my, uh, my little cousin was in. He was little then. I was grown. He was doing a music festival. And then we drive clean across the country, which isn't that far. It's like eight hours. So for like us, it's like, oh, it's like I, you know, drove to San Antonio. Like it's no big deal. For the Irish, that's really far. And so to drive across the country. And we're halfway through, and it's getting dark, and we're getting toward where we're going to be. And I thought, hey, Jay, um, where are we staying? You know, we're like out in the far western country of Ireland. <laughs> and his answer was, oh. Uh, we'll just, I'm waiting for a thicket ticket. And I was like, what? What's that? And he was like, a thicket ticket. You know, and Abraham's there and uh, the ram's caught in the thicket. Yeah, it's like a ticket, thicket ticket. Like God provides. <laughs> like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, when we get there, God will provide a thicket ticket. I'm like, you didn't book anything? He goes, no, 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 no. God, I just, this is how I travel. We just go. And God always provides. <laughs> sure enough, we got there in this little, uh, everything was closed but this one pub and they had two rooms up top that we could stand. I had to hang the curtains up to pay for our stay, but it was all good. And there we go. The whole trip was thicket tickets. And traveling with Jay was, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. There's also, of course, the Bible says to plan, by the way. Planning is good. It's okay to call ahead. And, uh, but Jay just, he lived by the thicket ticket. And it is, looking back, it's really freeing. It's also nerve-wracking for, if, like, if you're a planner, don't travel with my uncle. But he, looked, he calls them thicket tickets. And to this day, it's like when God shows up and God provides, when I never expected and I wasn't sure what he was going to do, but I'm walking by faith. If you're walking in sin, don't expect a thicket ticket, please. You should expect like a smack and discipline because he wants you to walk like Jesus. But as we walk by faith, he provides. Sometimes in extraordinary ways, sometimes in very small ways. But Yancey says in, in this book that we walk by faith and we, we are trusting, and only what, we, what, we, what we're looking forward at is, makes no sense as we walk in it. It only makes sense as we look back on it. So this made no sense to Abraham. It made sense to Abraham after the fact. It makes a ton of sense to us because we're like, oh, this is what God will do with Jesus. So he writes it 1,400 years before. By the way, as a quick aside, when Moses wrote this story down 1,400 years before Jesus, there's no way he could have known that this is what Jesus would do. And there's no way that Jesus, looking back in the story, would have been like, oh, okay, I'm going to calculate and I'm going to figure out exactly how to, and just as a human. Jesus was not just a human. Jesus was God incarnate. And so he fulfills the prophecy 1,400 years later that Abraham gives. And to me, it just proves over and over and over and over again that the Bible is the word of God, authoritative for life and doctrine. Anyway, end of that rabbit trail, back on topic. God's provision in a broken world is often unexpected, but it is always perfect. But it does not always come when we want it, 
It comes when he wants it, and it comes in the way that he wants it. So the second thing, this is the final thing, we'll end with this. What is your greatest need right now? What is it? What is your need? You know, we have these little um, things that you can write on uh, on the back. There's a little thing, you tear the bottom off, write it and tear it off. It's where prayer requests are. Or if you need a question or something, you can ask it and stick it in the little magic black box in the back. I say it's magic because it isn't, and magic is more fun. Fill out your information on it. But I want you to use that or this side right here. And I want you to take a moment and grab one of those cards, grab a pen that's by there, and we're going to give just a few moments. I want you to think about with the Lord, what is my greatest need, Lord? It may be that you need a nap. I don't know. It may be something like you need to make rent next month. It may be something that you need your marriage healed. It may be that you need your, your child to come to Christ, something massive. It may be that you have cancer and you need healing. It may be that, I don't know. The world needed to be saved from their sin, and God provided that. The world needs to be redeemed and made new again. The Lord will provide that in the future. But until that time, we walk by faith and we walk in need. So what is your greatest need and I want you to think about it. I want you to write it down. And then I want you, as you write it down, to think about, Lord, I don't know how you are going to meet this need. I don't know. But I want you to think about what it is. The reason I want you to think about it is because you, you probably know what it is already or something that came to your mind. What is your greatest need? And then I want you to realize that as you write that need down, that you're not alone in your need. One, God has given you himself to help you. And two, he's given you the body of Christ to bear that burden with you. How much better would it have been for Abraham to have a brother and a sister alongside helping him walk that path? God has given us burdens so that we can bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So I want you to remember that as you write that need down, that God will provide because he's promised to but also that you do not have to bear that burden alone and to encourage you to either share it with someone today, write an email, write a little, fill that thing out, stick it in the back and, and we will pick those things up and we will contact you and we will share that burden with you. You have a prayer team who would love to share your burdens in prayer. We get the most wonderful and terrible and hardest things to pray for and it's such a gift to be able to share one another's burdens. So what is your greatest need and whenever you're done writing that down, I want you to answer this final question, which is, what does it look like for you to truly trust the Lord to provide in your need? Maybe, you know, you're, you need, like I said, uh, you need, your marriage needs help. Well, maybe you need to call a counselor and get some help. Maybe you need to talk to your life group. Maybe you need to call Trevor I and say, hey, our marriage is struggling. Maybe, you, um, maybe you're sick. Or maybe you're not feeling one. Maybe you should go to the doctor. That's okay. That's also walking by faith. I promise you, lots of faith happens inside of a doctor's office. Maybe you have someone who in your family that you love that is lost. Ask people to pray and share that burden with you. I don't know what your need is. Maybe you need help, wisdom with children. Maybe you need, Jen and I are constantly crying out for wisdom for raising our kids because they are amazing and precious and treasures and we are totally incapable of raising them well unless God helps us. Ask for help. 
God's given us the body to do this very thing. You are not in it alone. So as we uh, close our time in, in worship, I just want to encourage you to respond to the Lord as we sing. We have this time always planned intentionally. It's not just to like give a really good transition before you leave. It's actually so that you can respond to whatever God is teaching you as we study his word together. And I don't know what he's laying on your heart or what difficulties or what needs you have, but he does. And he's calling you to walk by faith in those needs. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that as we study your names, you are the great I am, unbound by time and space. You are Elohim, strong, sovereign creator. We can trust you. We look at you as our provider and as you provided for Abraham in his moment of greatest need that you will provide for us because you are a father who loves us and that we are your children that we can entrust our hearts into your good Father love for us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand what the next step is. Abraham knew he needed to get up early, saddle up his donkey, get to the wood, and start walking. Whatever that next step is for us, O Lord, lead us in it as we respond to you in worship. Teach our heart, draw us to you, and show us what to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. sing that verse one more time. Marvelous, wonderful, infinite God, author of all that is good, faithful provider and giver of life, source of all Okay.
shepherd who comes for the lost. Rock of salvation, remarkable love, Savior who died on the cross. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, refuge of strength to the end. Righteous are not in a blinding crisis right now and you're like, you know, I don't have, God's not calling me to do something so massive, someone you know probably is. And so if you are not in a moment of crisis where everything is emptied out into trusting the Lord and just walking by faith in the moment, I guarantee you that you know someone who needs you to shoulder and share their burden with them. So find those people and get out there and serve them, love them much, and love them well, and go